following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. My parents gave me a lot of gifts. They made me the person that I am today. But one of the best things that my dad gave me was a love for music. Are there any music lovers here today? Yeah, yeah, you don't, yeah, raise your hands, it's fine, whatever. But I love music, and I got that from my dad, and my dad used to listen to all kinds of music, but there was one kind of music that he loved more than all others. Benny, will you play it? My dad's favorite music was the blues, the American blues to be very specific. Just listen for a second. Benny, turn it up, come on. Come on. This is the blues. And the blues, as I understood it growing up, was what was simple to understand. It was sad songs with electric guitar. That was the blues, right? Every blues song has those two ingredients, right? You lost your dog, you lost your woman, you lost your money, or you lost your house, and now I'm going to sing about it. That's the blues, man. That's all it is. And I thought I understood the history of the blues. Is I thought it was simple. You know, the, the, the blues movement came from the South, the United States. It was a result of, of, of the, the songs that the American slaves used to sing in protest to their, to their, their slavery. And, and then when the electric guitar was invented, they added that, and that became what we knew as the blues. And I figured I, I totally understood the story of the blues until uh, I was in Paris a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, and I was in a record store, and I heard this music. And it got my attention. And I said, wait a second. Somebody not speaking English is singing the blues. You can turn it down now. And I, I, I had to find out what this music was. And I, I, I went to the guy, and he was French, and so he, we had this interesting dialogue. And what's this music? And he said, what? And I said, what's the music, this music, and what is it? And so he handed me the, the record. This was back when people bought CDs. And, um, and uh, it was a band from uh, a place you may know called Mali. It's a band uh, of, of musicians. They're Tuareg people. They're nomads. They travel around the desert with camels and electric guitars. I'm not kidding. And their, their music they play is called Desert Blues. And all of a sudden, I had this paradigm shift because now I'm going, wait a minute, uh, the blues is happening in Africa and these guys live in the desert. They literally charge their amplifiers with D batteries, right? And they go from town to town and they get batteries. And I, so I had to figure out the story behind this thing. And that what I realized was that, uh, of course, it makes sense that the blues in America would have African roots. That's just so simple, but I missed it in my thinking. And so the more I studied about these Tuareg men, these blues guys, I started to realize they were basing their blues, the music they sang as desert blues, not on American music that I grew up with, but on ancient traditions in music that goes back way before the United States, way before the electric guitar, back to the time of Egypt and the pharaohs. This tradition of singing about your sorrows goes back as long as there has been songs. As long as there have been songs, there have been sad songs. And as long as there have been people, there have been songs. And so I felt like I had a huge paradigm shift when I realized that this idea of singing your sorrows was not new. It goes back a long time. It may go back to the very beginning. 
And, uh, and so for me, it was just sort of a small moment where I realized my ignorance, you know. Uh, sometimes Americans, we have this bad tradition of thinking everything great comes from our country, <laughs> which is clearly not true, all right? But you learn the hard way, don't you? And today, we are going to talk about some very sad subject matter. We are going to dive into one of the shortest, but one of the most profound books of the Old Testament. And to be honest, it's a book that most people skip over if they don't have to. It's the book of Lamentations. What is Lamentations? To lament is to be sad out loud, to be filled with sorrow, and then to let that sorrow overwhelm you is Lamentations, to lament. To sing the blues is to lament in a popular way. It's a tradition that goes back for as long as there have been people. But today we're going to look at the book of Lamentations, and I hope that you will be able to connect, even uh, across centuries and millennia and different cultures, no matter where you come from, if you come from Africa or the Middle East or North America or Asia or South America, wherever you come from, I think there's something in the book of Lamentations that should speak to you, that should touch you in a place where you have felt sorrow. Because frankly, I would be very surprised if every person in this room has not experienced deep sorrow in one way or another. And if you need to lock into a memory of your life when you uh, had sorrow, if you had a great loss or grief in your life, if you need to visualize that in your mind as we enter into this study of Lamentations today, then do that. Do that and let's see what God says to you today as we look at the ways that the Israelites lamented their exile from the Holy Land. If you would like to open your Bibles, we're going to start in Lamentations chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to briefly review for you. Uh, We've been off for several weeks, as Rinjit mentioned, with Dr. Gene Salander. Those of you that have been around, we we studied the, um, for four weeks, we studied the Beatitudes from Matthew. And now we're going to go back to our study called Covenant People. Those of you who haven't been with us for the last uh, year and a half, uh, I'll just give you a brief update. We started in the fall of 2014. We started reading the Old Testament in Genesis And now we are at Lamentations. So um, what's happened in the the history of Israel at this moment in history is that they have been exiled from their land. So this is after Abraham, after Moses, after David and Solomon. This is when the people of Israel have been um, conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So The book of Lamentations is lamenting the loss of the city of Jerusalem. Like I said, lamenting is is verbalizing sorrow or sadness. And throughout the book of Lamentations, the the author, the poet who's writing it, is speaking in lots of different um, uh, tenses. So he'll say, I am, or we are, or you. Uh, it's It's poetry. So you have to remember, Lamentations is a book of poems, it's uh, creative, it's beautiful, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so these five chapters are all about how much sorrow there is for the loss of Jerusalem. Of course, the loss of Jerusalem is not just the loss of a national capital, is it? It represents uh, the loss of all of the expectations that the Israelites had for their culture. 
Think about the three great promises that God made to Israel. He said, you will have land, the promised land. He told Moses that. You will have my blessing. That was what he promised to Abraham. And he promised also that you would have a king through David. You would always have a king through the line of David. Those were the three promises that God had made to Israel. And yet, at the time of the exile, they don't have any of those three. They don't have a king. They don't have land that's been taken from them by the Assyrians, and they don't have God's blessing, clearly, because they have been completely overwhelmed by their enemies. This is a dark time in the life of the people of Israel, and the tone of lamentations is bleak. I don't know why this always happens, but I keep getting all these dark books of the Old Testament. I got Job, then I got Ecclesiastes, and now Lamentations. So I think Eric's trying to... uh, He's trying to tone me down a little bit. Let's bring the happy guy down a little bit. No. But these five um, poems that make up Lamentations are filled with beautiful language. Now, it's not always easy to read uh, some of these books of the Bible, but I have chosen a few passages from each of the five chapters, and I'm sorry that the projector isn't working today because I was going to have you read along with me. But I tried to pick out some of the passages in Lamentations that I feel are the most human that might help us to connect with the people of Israel in their sorrow and let us feel a little bit of empathy. And then after we go through the five chapters of Lamentation briefly and quickly, I only have one point of application for you today. You know, sometimes a sermon has seven points or 12 points or four points. Today, I just have one for you. So it's going to be really easy to remember. So after all the sadness of lamentations, you go home with one application today, but I'm going to make you wait till the end to hear it. If you'll open your Bibles to chapter 1, let's begin our brief overview of the book of Lamentations. The author of Lamentations is unknown. Some people think it's Jeremiah, um, but actually I think it gives power to Lamentations because it could be anyone, anyone who's ever felt loss or sorrow. A little bit like the old line that says, everybody's had the blues sometimes. We've all felt sorrow. And so in that way, the narration of the book of Lamentations is for all of us when we consider what it means to be separated from God. Chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has now become a slave. Like a widow and a slave is the city. Is this nothing to you? Verse 12. You who pass by, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Verse 18. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Chapter 1 is a lament for the loss of home. Have you ever been uh, back to your home, your hometown or your home state, your home country, and you went past a place that you used to love, an old school, an old cafe, an old park, and it was just in ruins? It wasn't like it used to be. It was was nothing anymore. And, And that's what the poet is saying, is that our home, which was once great and beautiful, has been lost. This book is lamenting the loss of home. Chapter 2, the poet connects this, this sadness, this loss 
with the national sins of Israel. In verse 5, he says, chapter 2, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its palaces. He has laid ruins to its strongholds and has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentations. Verse 11, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. Verse 17, the Lord has done what he proposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He, was thrown, he has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. We start to see a little bit of the why in these lamentations. Why has Jerusalem been given to its enemies? Why are the walls pulled down? Why are there so many widows? Why are the children in the streets crying with hunger? Well, the author says, the poet says, it was because of the sins of the people. If you haven't been around uh, for the last few months, then, then I'll just refresh you. You know, the story of the years after King Solomon and the, to the time of the captivity was a story of just a terrible cycle. Israel would, would, would have success, then they would become prideful, and then they would fall into idolatry and sin, and they would suffer at the hand of their enemies until God would restore them, and this cycle would go over and over until ultimately God said, enough is enough. If you will have idols, if you will marry the other nations, which I have told you not to, if you will forget me, then I will step back and leave you to your enemies. And here is the author talking about that. In chapter 3, something changes. This is where we can see a little bit of light coming in through the tops of the forest. This is where there's a little bit of hope. Chapter 3 is where the tone shifts momentarily. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. And then I'm going to jump around here. Verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The poet says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. There are new, they are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. You probably know these words. A lot of songs have these lyrics. The Lord is my portion, verse 24. Therefore, I will hope in him. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief. He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebel, but you have not forgiven. Verse 55, I call on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called you. You said, do not fear. So imagine the poet is observing all of this destruction some people believe that the author of Lamentations was one of the people left behind in Jerusalem that wasn't taken to Babylon in captivity. He or she was actually in Jerusalem observing these horrible things. People dying in the street, people suffering of malnutrition. And, and he saw this with his own eyes. And in the midst of that horror, he or she, the author says to God, he says these words, he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. Maybe you have been in a pit before. 
Maybe you have been an emotional, in an emotional pit. Maybe you have been in a pit with your vocation, your job, your career. Maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents. You felt like you were at the bottom of a pit and there was no way out. The author says this. He says, you came to me when I called you and you said, do not fear. Chapter 4. Here we see the poet explaining how Israel, how Jerusalem has changed from its golden age to the time of the captivity. Verse 1, how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Her princes were purer than snow, they were whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. Their beauty was the form like a sapphire. But now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. Verse 9, happy were the victims of the sword, happier than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. It's bad to be disconnected from God. The poet is saying, we used to be kings and princes. We were dressed in purple. We had plenty to eat. We had gold. We had, we had the fruits of the field. And now we have nothing. And it would perhaps have been better for us to have died by the sword and the battle with the Babylonians than to be left here in this state. I told you it was bleak. It's bleak stuff. But what the author is trying to show to the audience is, is that by separating, by being lost from God himself, we become like those who are starved. Maybe you have felt this before. I know I have. This feeling where it's like, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to sing praise songs. I don't want to be, I, I, just, I just feel starving, but there's nothing that can satisfy me. I've been in the pit. Maybe you have as well. Chapter 5. The final chapter in Lamentations is the poet's way of saying to his audience, if we will turn back to God, if we will repent and turn back to God, there is still hope for us. He says this in verse 1, speaking to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners, we have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us? Restore us to yourself, O Lord that we may be restored. And that's the end. That's the end of Lamentations. The author is in a bad place. The author is clearly overwhelmed with sorrow and grief and sadness at the loss of the dream that was Israel. And yet, in the midst of that pit, in that darkness, the author is saying, Restore us to yourself, O Lord that we may be restored. The practice of lamenting, 
is pretty much lost in our world today. The, the actual art of, of, of publicly lamenting is not something that we do. It's looked down upon, it's shameful, it's perplexing, it's embarrassing. It's not something that we do, but there is something that we can learn from this. And that is partly confession, partly recognition of, of our sins, of, of trouble, but more importantly, it's a way for us to return our cares, our fears, our disappointments back to God, isn't it? Notice that throughout the whole book of Lamentations, despite all the horrible things that have happened, the author never says, there is no God. Because bad things have happened, there is no God. And if you have ever been in a debate or a conversation with someone who doesn't believe, this will always come up. The uh, opening argument of anyone who is an atheist is, how can you believe in a God that would let bad things happen? You've probably been in that conversation. And it is a valid question. And it is a difficult and complex question. But I am so inspired by the author of Lamentations who is in the midst of a wealth of bad things and yet is not willing to say all of this horrible that has happened to us means that there is actually no God. He never says that. Instead, he says, you reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Restore us to yourself. I think Lamentations demonstrates that at least part of our response to suffering and loss is to continue our conversation with God. If we're really honest with ourselves, there are times when we don't understand. Right? There are times when we say, how, Lord, can this happen? Why do wars happen? Why does death happen? Why do we lose children? Why do planes crash? All these things that happen. We don't have answers for all of them, but we do have a choice. Will we say in our hearts that because there is evil, because there is bad, because there is loss and death, then then therefore there cannot be a good God, which is the answer that so many people today unfortunately give? Or do we say in our hearts, there is evil, there is loss, there is suffering, Lord, restore us to yourself. Help us in our time of need. I can't get this image out of my head of the author who is in a pit, and he's in the pit, and there's no way out of the pit. And we think to ourselves, imagine this person in a pit who wants out so badly. They're in a desperate place. How do we get them out? How do we come out of this pit? Well, I think there's two things we can do. We can remember Christ. You know, there's an old joke uh, that's uh, a man that falls in a hole. He's probably in New York City. And he falls in a hole because there's no manhole cover on the hole. He falls in and he's down there, can't get out. And a a priest walks by and he says, sorry, I can't go. I've I've got an appointment to get to. So he passes on. Then a construction worker walks by and he says, "Uh, sorry, buddy, I can't come down and help you. I'm late for work. And then uh, one, the guy in the pit, his friend walks by, and his friend says, what are you doing down there? He says, I fell. I fell in the pit. And then the friend jumps into the pit with him. And the first man goes, what did you do that for? Now we're both stuck in the pit. And the friend says, yeah, but I know the way out. 
Christ came to earth for many reasons. But the Bible says that when he was here, he experienced what we experience. He experienced sorrow and pain and suffering. But he knows the way out. You know, the wages for our sin, the Bible says, is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. What the people of Israel and Jerusalem earned because of their idolatry was death, right? That's why they were in such a state. That's why they were lamenting. But through Christ, that wage, that debt has been paid. The Romans says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Christ is the second man jumping into the pit for you. You may be in a dark pit today. You may be lamenting something in the deepest part of your heart that you would never want to confess to your friends at church. But you have a friend who has come into the pit with you, and his name is Christ, Jesus Christ. I'll just say one last thing about that. I'm reminded of when Jesus was on the cross. Do you remember? He's, he's on the cross, and he's already been beaten, and he's been spat upon, and he's been cursed at, and he's been judged, and his friends have betrayed him, and he's, he is at the lowest point in his earthly ministry, and he's hanging on the cross. And Jesus is in pain, and he's losing blood, and his mother is watching him with his friends there at the cross. And listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 27. On the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And then about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about how profound that is. That the Son of God, born of a virgin, foretold for hundreds of years, God in human form, was in a pit. He was in pain. He was suffering. And he felt like God was so far from him that he said, why have you forsaken me? And yet notice that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though he felt forsaken, he did not say he was alone. He called out to God in his grief. I think we can follow the example of lamentations, the example of Christ on the cross, and remember that if our faith is true faith, if your, if your Christianity, if your, if your faith in God is real, then it is a relationship. That's the essence of everything in the Bible. And even when we are at our lowest point, in the deepest part of the pit, in the darkest night of the soul, God is still there. And we can cry out to Him for help. I promised you in the beginning that I would only have one application for you today. Here's my application for you today. Cry out to God when you are in darkness. The worst thing we can do as Christians is when we struggle and when we suffer that we abandon the God who has made so many covenants with us. When we turn our backs on God because of the circumstances we're in, it, it, it is a, it's a deep chasm that we are creating. We may not feel close to God, but my challenge for you today, my application for you today is this. In your darkness, in your dark times, cry out to God for restoration. 
The Bible promises us that He hears us. We may not even believe that He hears us, but we cry out anyway because we know that He can work good in our lives that we cannot understand. And so if you are in a pit today, then I challenge you to cry out to God. That you partly confess, you partly lament, but that ultimately you are crying out to God and saying, restore me to yourself. I'm not giving up on you, and I believe that you have not given up on me. If you're not in a pit today, which that may be many of you, you may be going, you know, life is good. I just ran the marathon. I'm feeling great. You may not be in a pit today, but I, I, I have to remind you what the song says. Everybody sings the blues sometime. You will have dark times. You may know someone in your life today that is struggling, and they are looking for someone in their life to point them towards Christ. They are looking for someone in their life, even though they don't even know it, to jump down in the pit with them and say, hey, I know the way out. Let me show you what it means to have peace that passes all understanding. So what's the value of a lamentation, of a a sad song? Well, it does two things, I think. I think it creates connections with us. When I hear your sad song, when I I hear somebody's uh, lament, it creates empathy in me. And it also frees me to tell my friends that I trust, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I need prayer, I need help. That's my application for you. Cry out to God in, in, your, dar- in your darkest times and look for those people that need comfort as well. Be the voice in their life that says, I know the way out. It's through faith in Christ. It's through the free gift of God. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.